0: Today's Bible reading is from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 9 to 17. Count of seven weeks from the time you begin to put a sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of the unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, it is my pleasure to be speaking to you this morning, Chantin Anglican. I, as I said earlier, come from Resurrection Church in Sai Kung. We uh, are your sister church, and it's my pleasure to return some of the ministry that we've received from Hugh and from Niels over the years uh, that I've been here. We're very grateful for when they come to preach to us. I'm happy to be able to do that for you this morning. And it is exciting for me to speak on your Stewardship Sunday as you consider how best to use your resources over the coming year uh, for God's glory. But allow me to, to pray just as we begin looking at this passage in Deuteronomy 16 together. Father, I I pray that you would Uh, Speak to us by your word, as you promised to do, as we open it up, as we give it our full attention. Please would we hear your voice and live lives that are pleasing to you as a result. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, personally, I always find it a, a bit of a challenge, actually, to speak on a stewardship or a financial giving Sunday. Um, it's a challenge because I know that God tells His people to be generous, and yet I don't think that generosity comes naturally to me. Maybe you feel the same. Now, I, I was raised in a pretty frugal household, a household where uh, the proverb "A fool and his money are soon parted" was quoted frequently and with authority. And um, it's only uh, recently I realized it's not actually a proverb from the Bible; it's an English proverb. But um, When I was a child, I would hear that quoted and after hearing it, I would, you know, kind of sullenly walk back over to the toy shelf and and put the toy back that I had asked for, or uh, perhaps worse, take the name brand cereal and and exchange it for the off-brand that didn't taste as good. And, And even today, sometimes I have to remind myself, it's okay not to order the cheapest option on the menu if I'd actually rather eat something else. Uh, Because it had been ingrained in me, in my mind, uh, not parting with money is synonymous with being wise, maybe even being more virtuous. But that's not actually what the Bible teaches, is it? I mean, sure, a, a fool wastes his wealth according to the book of Proverbs, but the fool also tears down his barn to build a bigger one to store his wealth according to Jesus. A wealthy person can just as easily, perhaps even more easily, be foolish in God's eyes. Because according to the Bible, the key sign of somebody who is wise with their wealth is not frugality. It's not making high returns on their investments. It's generosity. And whether we have a little money or a whole lot of money, we're called to be generous. And one of the places that we see that principle of generosity very practically applied is in the Old Testament law. We could have looked at a number of passages this morning, but I thought it might be good to take a look at what God commanded his people to do on payday, as it were. These verses tell us how uh, the Israelites were to celebrate their harvests when after many months of hard work. They uh, had their their paychecks, their crops in the bank, as it were. What were they to do with that? And and this is what they were told to do. And I think it's good for us to study it, not because we need to do exactly what they did. We don't need to take a pilgrimage three times a year to Jerusalem, uh, of course. But it will help us to better understand what God expects his people to be like with their wealth. And with the resources that he's given them. So what can we learn from these verses? Well, the first point I think we need to see is that Christian generosity is rooted in humility. There is a way of giving that is fundamentally about me. Just occasionally, when I'm paying for something at a shop, the, the cashier will draw my attention to the card reader and, and ask me if I want to donate a few dollars to a, a charity of some sort. Now, do I know what the charity is? Almost certainly not. It, it could be uh, to, to save stray cats from climate change, for all I know. But do I suddenly feel a real pressure to give? Well yes, I do. And why? because I'm concerned how it's going to reflect on me. I don't want the clerk and maybe the people in line behind me to to think I'm stingy. And when I do decline, because I am stingy, I I kind of shuffle off without making eye contact on my way out of the shop. Now that might be a, a silly example, but there are all sorts of ways that we make giving about us. We're inviting uh, people to dinner parties because we want them to think well of us. We give to charity because it makes us feel good about ourselves, or perhaps it helps us to not feel so guilty. Or maybe we we owe the person who's collecting for the charity. You never know that there are so many runners in your life till you hit your early 30s and everybody's collecting for the marathon they're running. Easily make our generosity towards others all about us. But notice the motivation that God gives his people for being generous. Did you notice that? Verse 10, then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. For seven days, verse 15, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose, for the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands. Verse 17, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Now God's people were to receive the harvest as a blessing that they were given rather than as a wage that they had earned. If the crops were something they deserved, well then they could use them however they pleased. But if they were fundamentally God's property, which he had given to them, well then there was no room for pride or selfishness. Yes, they had plowed, they had planted, they had tended the crops and and reaped them, but God gave the growth that resulted in the harvest. And since it was a gift, They were commanded to use it in a way that reflected the generosity of the giver and brought honor to him. They gave a, a tenth of all they had to the temple, and then on top of that, they made free will offerings throughout the year. Well, likewise, as Christians, we know that all our resources come from the hand of God. Not in the sense that he zaps money into our account. No, he uses normal means to bless us. Rather than seed and soil for most of us, although there may be farmers watching now, he uses our employers, he uses our clients to give us the harvest. But it is no less a gift from him. We shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that somehow we deserve the high standard of living that we're used to in Hong Kong. It isn't ours by right. It is God's generosity to us. And so we are to use his gifts in a way that honors him and that reflects his generosity to us. And that's why proportionate giving is repeatedly emphasized. God doesn't expect every person to be able to give the same amount, but our generosity should be proportional to what he has blessed us with. So for those who are struggling to get by, maybe a few hundred dollars a month would be very generous. And for those who are living comfortably, maybe a few thousand dollars a month would be really quite stingy in comparison to what God has blessed them with. God simply calls on us to consider what we have received and to reflect his generosity in how we use what he's given to us. And if the Israelites had much to be grateful for, don't we have so much more? Because beyond the yearly harvest, the the paradigm for God's generosity to them is summarized in verse 12. Read that again with me. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and follow carefully these decrees. But how much more generous has God been to us in Christ Jesus? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because of Jesus, we have been delivered from sin, from death, from hell. How much more generous has God been to us and therefore should we be to others. So as you prayerfully consider how much you can give uh, this year to the work of Shatin Church, do so with a right humility, recognizing that all you have, all I have, we have been given by God. But if all that we have is from God, how would God have us use his gifts How does he want us to use them? Well, that brings us to uh, the second point of this morning's passage. Christian generosity cultivates fellowship. As a student at Theological College in uh, Oxford University, every year I was invited to be a guest at the Christian Union. They would uh, have these mission weeks in the year and they would ask some of the um, people training for ministry to come and help them run some events and and do some things. And I didn't do much for a couple years that I was one of the guests, but one year the, the college chaplain invited me to come and preach at the Evensong in the college. And that week, I was invited to uh, afterwards accompany him and others to uh, the dining hall to have dinner at the high table. Now, I don't know how you might feel about something like that, but there are a few things that have made me feel more like an outsider to English culture than that. First, there was the Evensong service, which is beautiful, but um, not uh, perhaps what all of us are used to. And then there was the service. After the service, we moved to the staff common room for a little pre dinner sherry and conversation with the other chosen ones who, who would be at the high table with us. Then, as we entered the dining hall, all the students in their academic garb fell silent and stood as we made our way to the high table. It was a, a literal high table on an elevated platform at the front of the dining hall. Some chap who was with us, he, he secreted a gavel from somewhere on his being, he pounded the table with it, everybody sat and resumed their conversations, and the dinner began. And if that weren't enough to establish our importance, well, the waiters proceeded to bring us a better four-course dinner than anyone else down at the, the lower tables was receiving, all while constantly refilling our wine glasses throughout the evening. And when everyone at our table had finished, suddenly another thunderous crack of the gavel on the table. Everyone fell silent, stood, and watched as we shuffled, or maybe at that point after the final glass of port, as we stumbled out of the dining hall. Now, As I got home, I remember thinking the food was delicious, the conversation was pleasant, and we were made to feel very welcome. But I don't believe I have ever been to a more profoundly unchristian dinner than that. Because the whole event was designed to highlight inequality, and maybe even to exacerbate the, the inequality. Every good thing that we received was meant to show how very much more important we were. And who fundamentally provided all these gifts that we received? Well, it was. Presumably, the students whose fees we're paying for our luxurious dinner. But see how that contrasts with the kind of feast that God commands. Verse 11: And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place that He will choose as a dwelling for His name, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maid servants, the Levites in your towns, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. And again in verse 14, be joyful at your feast, you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maid servants, and the Levites, the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your town. The kind of generosity that God commands is one where everyone is welcomed at the same table, regardless of wealth or power or education. The needy were to be elevated, and the powerful were to be humbled, and they were to feast together as equals. The servant would sit down to feast with the master. The immigrants in Israel would be seated next to the native-born sons of Israel and daughters of Israel. The orphans and the widows, who were the very definition of neediness and poverty in that culture, were treated with the same dignity and respect as the ruling elites. The generosity that God commands brings people into relationship. As one commentator puts it, there was economic disparity in Israel, but there was no class difference that was tolerated among God's people. Well, how very different from our culture, where uh, we expect the wealthy to exercise power over the poor. And we expect the poor to uh, bow and scrape for the, the uh, out of gratitude for the, the generosity of what they've received. You no, know, Christian generosity recognizes that both the net giver and the net receiver are equals. And it brings us closer in relationship to one another because we recognize that everyone is equally dependent on God for their daily bread. We can all sit together at the same table and receive it from him. And in the life of the church, it's our giving that makes that kind of radically equalizing fellowship possible. I took a look at your church's website this week and I saw how very much you have going on here at Shaw 10. You have evangelistic courses for the non-Christians, Christianity Explored, as we heard about earlier, and you have discipleship courses for maturing Christians, uh, that parenting course that we heard about earlier. You have uh, small groups for Filipinos, for young adults, and for others. You have kingdom kids and ministry associates and and just about everyone, whether child or adult, wealthy or poor, believer or non-believer, is catered for. Now, how is it possible that they can all come together as equals in this church and find encouragement and resources in their walk with Christ? Well, it is because of the freely given generosity of church members like you. People like you give money that allows church staff to fully devote themselves to Bible teaching and to equipping the saints for the works of ministry. People like you give money that provides the materials and the venues and the retreats and the outreaches and the courses and the playgroups and the people that have, under God, helped knit together a community of hundreds of people from different backgrounds into one body. Now, of course, the Spirit of God gives the conversions. The Spirit of God gives the sense of unity. The Spirit of God grows us in maturity, but your generosity is the means that he uses to make that happen. And that kind of fellowship-producing generosity is pleasing to God. And if we're honest, I think, if we take a moment to think about it, It's pleasing to us as well. And that brings me to the final point of this morning. Christian generosity produces joy. What is the result of humbly admitting that everything we have is a generous gift of God? What is the result of uh, of giving generously to bring people together as equals? Well, according to our reading, it's joy. Verse 11, and rejoice before the Lord your God. Verse 14, be joyful at the feast. Verse 15, your joy will be complete. And that's the surprising truth I want to leave you thinking about this morning. Now, where else can you invest your resources that is guaranteed to produce joy? Like all of us, I've spent uh, lots of money on things that give a certain amount of pleasure. A nice meal, a a fancy uh, bicycle, a a relaxing holiday, a larger flat. And those things can all be good, but none of them produce the lasting joy in myself or in others that my giving to the Lord does. It's through the ministry of the local church that I have seen people come to a living faith that will last to eternity. It's through the local church that the the suffering and the grieving find comfort and hope in Christ. I've seen it. It's through the local church that I've found such surprising friendships, such deep partnerships, and such needed training in righteousness. And if I started giving uh, to the Lord out of a sense of duty when I was younger, well, I know better now. Christian generosity results in in joy. And as we see God's generosity, we come to know him and and to love him more. And as we reflect his generosity by giving to others, we come to, to love our neighbors more and more as well. It is how we were made to live. And it does give us great joy. Allow me to pray. Father, I thank you uh, for your generosity to us. All that we have, we've received from your hands. Not just the material things, but even uh, more importantly, the grace of redemption that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. Please would you make us generous like you. Please would the way we live uh, with our resources, including our financial resources, would that be modeled on the way that you have treated us. And might you be glorified through that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.